Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, courtesy of SB Nation and CincyJungle.com. I am Anthony Cazenza, and I'm joined by my co-host John Sheeran uh, over over in Cincinnati. John, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing very very great right now because yeah, of what yeah, to do. yeah. Uh, in case you haven't heard, we've got a couple of special guests tonight from SB Nation Stampede Blue. Matt Danley is going to help us preview the the Colts. Uh, upcoming week one game against the Colts at about 9 p.m. Eastern. But now on the line, we have a, I can't think of a better way to kick off the regular season on this podcast than uh, to have our special guest, Willie Anderson, former Bengals offensive lineman, multi-time pro bowler, in my book, Hall of Fame offensive tackle. Mr. Anderson, how are you, sir? I'm good, guys. Thank you. Well, thanks for making the time and uh, and being on being on the show. I know you're a, you're a busy guy, and, and uh, even though you're not suiting up in the pads these days. You've got a lot of different things going on. Um, want to talk about that. But uh, first, I, I just I kind of want to kick off with your thoughts on what the Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals, did this offseason. Obviously, they're coming off of two pretty poor seasons, um, losing seasons after making the playoffs five years in a row. They've made some changes. Some people think they're taking a step backwards. Some people think they'll take a step forward. What do you see? The changes they made, getting you know, a new left tackle there, and I've been glad. The previous season, they, they struggled with the loss of uh, Heitler and, and Whitworth. Uh, I think bringing a guy to that play left tackle and, and kind of showing that up, uh, I'm sure that they're, they're hoping it's going to be a big season for them. I think, I think myself personally, it's going to be a magical season. It's going to be big to have that. You know, I, I believe it's Marvin last year coaching with the Bengals. And um, so I think I think Martin wants to go out on a great note, and I think I think one thing they're going to get their speed up and things happen for them. I think knowing the offensive line is, is, is showing up with, with, with the tools they have at running back, quarterback, and receivers. It should be a big year in the defense. You know, I think I think we all feel that the defensive line is going to carry probably carry this team, in my opinion. Well, you have seen, uh, you mentioned Marvin Lewis. You've seen a lot of, in your time in Cincinnati, you saw a lot of different coaches, a lot of different head coaches. But when Marvin Lewis came on board, uh, there was a, a major sense of stability. And I, I've got kind of a couple questions on that front. I'll start with the fact that were you surprised that Marvin Lewis re-signed with the Bengals this offseason, um, even after a couple of losing seasons and the team not really living up to expectations? Uh, uh, I know uh, he and uh, uh, Mr. Brown feel about each other. You know, Marvin has brought the Bengals, you know, to respectability. Uh, yes, he hasn't won a playoff game yet, but I, I, I know that irritates people. And I'm sure it irritates him, but I knew he would come on and sign. I think he signed for a one-year deal. I think he, he wants to put every, all the marbles in right now. And they're going to go real hard and, and try to get, get that playoff win, get in the playoffs, and get that win. So... I personally did not think, um, wasn't surprised when he signed back. Um, like I said, I, I, I feel it's a one year deal. Well, I'm here, and I think it's going to be a big gift. I, I, I really Talking with former Bengals offensive tackle, Pro Bowl lineman Willie Anderson, uh, really, really stoked to have him on the show to, to kick off week one of the regular season going forward here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Willie, your, your former teammate, uh, TJ Hushmanzada, Kind of got some publicity uh, for, <laughs> I guess, right and wrong reasons, and I don't want to. I don't want to put you in a bad situation here, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna really 
go too far into this, but TJ's TJ's a pretty outspoken guy, and uh, he was like yourself. He was a player who was in the pre-Marvin Lewis era of the Cincinnati Bengals and and saw some pretty poor years uh, from the franchise. And then, you know, he was there with Marvin, and he experienced quite a bit of success under Marvin himself. And uh, the team just was was a much better team and in a much better place. Really, what what I want to ask you about is, you know, I don't want you to give us horror stories about the the, the franchise and your time there necessarily, but I'm I'm sure because you were there about five years, if I remember correctly, you were there about five years before he was. Yeah, and 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 basically, you know, the fact that. He noticed a significant franchise change um, w- before, you know, when Marvin Lewis got there and the way the team operated and all of that. I just wanted to get your take on that as well because I think as fans, people from the outside looking in kind of sense that. But, you know, from, from a guy who experienced a massive amount of, of success under Marvin Lewis in, in his tenure there, I'd really like to get your take on, you know, that maybe some of the, the organizational switches you saw once Lewis took over. Yeah, so uh, I'll make sure not to get say anything that'll get me banned. <laughs> uh, I'm still you know, I'm still hoping out that 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 uh, Mr. Brown comes up with that that own Bengals Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I know, I know the year that I say something crazy, it'd be the year he'll start it, and I'll be locked out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want that. Down on, on the river, I think we would often go to dinner. And Carson thought, Carson 
rookie that year. He wasn't starting that year, but he told John Kidman, he said, man, it's going to be sure bad to lose um, Got William in, in a year because he's probably old as hell, right? And, and Kidman was like, no, nah, man, like 20 years old. <laughs> and I have been up like 15, 17 years. Like, it was like, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I definitely think Marvin wants to see see the thing through that he's built over so many years with the with the Cincinnati Bengals. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're talking with Bengals legend Willie Anderson. Willie, real quickly, uh, just kind of a side note based on something you said there about you know a, a Bengals Ring of Honor or Hall of Fame or you know in my book there are a handful of names, a small handful of names that. Uh, Jerseys should not be worn by other folks. And in my book, number 71 is definitely one of those jerseys that should not be worn by anybody else uh, going forward by the by a Cincinnati Bengals player. Ha- have there been any kind of serious talks about a ring of honor or have you approached Mike Brown about it at all? I mean, I know you've got a pretty good relationship with the, with the team, but um, that's something I know we all want to see.
You are definitely one of the very, very best to ever suit up for, for the Bengals, and I hope that some some point in the near future, I know a lot of fans uh, will will echo this sentiment, but I hope it's at some point in the near future they're gonna they're gonna do the right thing on that front, retire jerseys, do the Ring of Honor, and uh, honor players like yourself the right way. Um, I hope that I hope that uh, especially for not only the fans' sake but for your sake and, and former greats, I hope they do that going forward. On a little bit of a lighter note, <laughs> you, um, you 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 had a, a, a coaching stint um, with your former offensive line coach, Paul Alexander, down in Dallas. You coached this summer, um, and what a group you got to coach down there. I mean, all pros and pro bowlers galore. Um, talk about that experience and and maybe what's ahead for you in the in the coaching game. Yet most teams don't understand what it is to be 
a consultant, a skilled consultant. Now they bring back old coaches and they talk about stuff, but you know, after being a guy who still can move around and still can teach and show players whatever the offensive line coach want to want, want me to show them, I'm not teaching my own stuff. And in Dallas, just what happened that Paul and I we came up with those techniques from my rookie year to my fifth, sixth year in the league, so Paul knows that I know his techniques the best. Well, I also trained guys from Philadelphia. I got guys from Cleveland, uh, guys from the Redskins. I got guys all around the country. So I don't train just particular stuff. What I know, I train whatever the coach want me to train on. I, I, I try to be my best at being diverse at multiple styles and training guards, center the tackle. So that's what we did that. We did that for a week and a half. And um, it, was, it was a good time. The guys loved it. And I'm just hoping that they get a build on for you know, maybe a consulting job. Yeah, and how? Just just so our listeners know, how can they? Um, you mentioned kind of a, I think an Instagram account or Twitter account. How can people follow along? Kind of what you're doing, how that how that business is growing. Maybe some of the guys you're working with. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. We'll get you out of here on this one quick little rapid fire question here, Willie. Um, toughest, toughest matchup you ever had in the pros, either edge defender or interior lineman you maybe had to help out with, or who, who was a guy that just was a really difficult matchup for you? Not that you ever showed very many vulnerabilities, but. not it's a surprising answer because i mean we just you know he he retired a little bit uh after you know
John and Colin and running game. The running game, every NFL team had a running game. Pittsburgh, with your own business, Eddie Jones the tight. You know, you had Fred telling those guys down in Jackson, but every NFL team was about running the football. But obviously, when we paid Carson that hundred million dollars in two thousand five, my tenth year, I saw a change in dynamic in the NFL. It became about the quarterback needs. So it became about protecting the quarterback. So I got like Reggie White played in the eighties into, into the nineties, but you're seeing more more dynamic pass rush guys now. I think in, in more years than ever because there's more passing going on. You know what I mean? So don't forget about it. You know, I played against Reggie White and against. Uh, the white free and Robert Mattson. I played against Chris Smith. I, I saw Javon Curtis. I saw mm-hmm. James Harris. You know what I mean? So, playing a long time, I had a chance to see different rushes. I played against Strahan, all the different guys, Warren Stapp, all the guys. So, I played in the heyday of half rushes. I think I played in the heyday of when offensive tackles were, were a group of guys that we were all fighting for two all pro slides. And by eight guys, you consider they're really neat. Yeah, well, that's, I hope our, our listeners uh, will go and check out some of those videos of you against Reggie White, because that's, that's an epic battle there, and uh, uh, appreciate all of your time. Again, this is Willie Anderson, Bengals legend, joining us on the program. Uh, we'll be sure to pass the word along about what you're doing with your, your coaching academy, and uh, anytime you want to come back on the program, man, we'd, we'd love to have you. All right, appreciate it. That was Willie Anderson, former Bengals offensive lineman and uh, multi-time pro bowler with the Cincinnati Bengals. And um, pretty stoked. I mean, in in a matter of a month, we had basically the two best Bengals offensive linemen ever. Um, I mean, Andrew Whitworth is in that discussion as well. But, uh, man, that's that's pretty cool. John, I, I hope you, I know uh, we wanted to get you to ask some questions there. Unfortunately, just him being on the phone is a, is a little difficult to volley back and forth there, but hopefully you enjoyed the interview nonetheless. I was, I was, that was starstrucking. Yeah. He was my favorite growing up, like when I first started watching. So that was, that was incredible. Yeah. And you, uh, you are a big lineman guy. So I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure you really enjoy that. That was cool. You know, uh, I'm glad, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to hear that he's doing, you know, this academy thing, he's made, he made a lot of money in the NFL. He could just kind of hang out and do his thing, you know, maybe do some business stuff, but he's actually trying to do some stuff and help out the next generation of NFL linemen with his academy and stuff. So um, pretty cool stuff there. We've got a few minutes, John, before we're joined, we're going to be joined by Matt Danley of Stampede Blue of SB Nation to to preview the Colts game. But I kind of wanted to go here and, um, Take a, take a couple minutes here and tell me about what you thought of the Bengals' final roster, some of the biggest surprises, either makes or cuts. Um, and one thing I'm really interested to hear about from you is the whole Michael Johnson thing um, because he gets cut, and then a day later he signs, and it sounds like he signs basically a one-year deal. It's kind of the same contract he had. So um, your thoughts on that uh, and, and how the roster is shaping up going into week one. So yeah, well, let's just start with Johnson because I I think a lot of people either expected or just wanted like Johnson this to be Johnson's like or for him to get cut just because um it, it, you know like the progress that Willis and Hubbard showed in the preseason was promising but what we had to remember was that Johnson was still starting at defensive end across from 
Carlos Dunlap. He was starting at nickel defensive tackle next to Geno Atkins on third down. So all preseason, there was no indication that Johnson was getting phased out in favor of Willis and Hubbard. Obviously, those two got plenty of reps behind him and plenty of experience in rotating in and out with him. But there was no indication that, you know, Johnson was on the way out. Like we saw with Chris Baker, he got like nine snaps in like the first two preseason games combined or something ridiculous like that. So it was obvious to see um, him on the way out because of the way Billings progressed. It was obvious to see Ryan Hewitt get phased out because he, he just wasn't using the offense at all. Michael Johnson, while he didn't produce on the defensive line this preseason, was still used a lot. And you can obviously tell, you know, which guys are on the way out, which guys are still in the plans for 2018, but just how they're used in the preseason. So Johnson was the starter in the preseason. And even though he didn't do well, by all indications, there was he it was it was just expected that he would make the team. So when he was cut, you know, it was it was a shock to me because I just didn't expect that to happen. It was just such a rash decision for them to make because they didn't show any signs of that of that happening. But they only cut him because they wanted to keep Devontae Harris on the initial 53-man roster. So then they could have him return from injured reserve, which they then later put him on as soon as Johnson, you know, wasn't signed after a day, so they could work that whole process out. But I don't think it's gonna I don't think keeping Johnson makes them much worse on the defensive line. It's obviously an experienced body who they trust and run defense and who is better rushing the passer from inside. The less he plays, the more, you know, the more effective he is. And I do think that they're going to get Willis and Hubbard rotated in with him more and more as the, as the season goes on. And the pass rushing will be much better because of that as well. Other than that, I think the biggest surprise was keeping seven receivers. And it, it, we all thought it was going to come down to either Auden Tate or Cody core mainly because of special teams. And obviously they still trust Cord to, to man that gunner position on special teams. And they don't trust Tate to do that because if they did trust Tate, then Cord still wouldn't be here. So they still ha- are reliant on core for that because they can't rely on Tate for that. But they obviously still like the potential that Tate has at 21 years old and the limited uh, things that he showed. But he still obviously has a long way to go because for the good plays that he showed in preseason, there was just as many um, knucklehead plays that cost the team a little bit. Yeah, and obviously I think that one, uh, what was it against the Bills maybe, it was a throw by Barkley, it kind of went off his head and turned into an interception in a game that um, the Bengals were thoroughly dominating and, uh, you know, they they were kind of on the move there as well and Barkley had kind of played well on that front. Now, uh, quick thoughts on quarterback group, Um, you might have touched on that a little bit, I mean, um, Barkley... Now he's he's kind of shelved uh, because of the injury. He and you know it probably was going to come to Driscoll anyway. Um, but you kind of got to feel a little bit for Barkley because you know that was his his stage a little bit in that finale. To you know he's got the start. Um, he kind of had the opportunity to you know get out there and of course what three four plays in he gets he gets hurt and is on a on kind of a cheap shot to his knee. And uh, so now he's, you know, he's, he's gone. Driscoll is the guy. Are you, are you pretty confident in that, in that Um, they have Christian Hackenberg on the practice squad, who was a pretty, pretty decent college player, but my God, he has not looked good. So, uh, I mean, what do you make of the quarterback spot? I I think I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think because Barkley was given second, second team reps in the third preseason game, I think he did slightly have the inside track to the job over Driscoll and you know we don't always agree with the coaches decisions and roster making but I think that was kind of the direction that they were going he did start that the final preseason game 
I think he did, for whatever reason, have a slight edge over Driscoll. And it was just unfortunate for him that he ended up getting hurt in the first drive and Driscoll basically got the job by default. But because they put him on IR and not just cut them all together, I think they still have whatever future plans that they have for a guy on a two-year contract on his like fourth team. So I think they're just going to roll with Driscoll now. If he does well, then they can release Barkley at the end of the year and they'd have no need for him. But if Driscoll has to end up playing and doesn't do well, then I guess they're going to give Barkley another shot next year. But yeah, don't, don't expect anything from Hackenberg. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. That, that, <laughs> that, was, that was an odd one, to say the least. Um, we're going to get to uh, our, our other special guest uh, in the evening in just a second here, but just a couple of quick questions. One was from uh, someone in our live YouTube chat. Uh, was it Dean Burke? Yeah. Why did Erickson make the roster? You talked about the fact that the Bengals kept seven receivers and, you know, Lord only knows what's going on with Cody Gore and all of that stuff. Um, I, I thought Erickson, and I, I called it on this show. I thought he was going to be cut at some point. Um, he actually ended up playing pretty well in the preseason again. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a major force in the offense. I think it's just these return guy, maybe get you 10, 15 catches a year. I think that's just who he is. But um, is that worth a roster spot, especially with the league kind of cracking down on, on kickoffs and, um, you know, that whole situation? Is, is, he, is he really worth the roster spot? I mean, I know he's, try, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a try-hard guy, and he just has a knack for making the big play, especially in the preseason. Um, but – do you want to say his grit? Yeah, grit. Funny grit. Motor grit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I I think he impressed as a receiver in just the limited time that he had. Um, I, I I wouldn't think it's that far of a fetch to say he's one of the more reliable receivers that they have, just based off experience. Because you know we we still need to see Ross proven in the regular season. We still need to see Boyd completely bounce back from last year. So I think they like whatever stability that he brings at the slot receiver. I think he's still a decent option. I think if they did give him an extended role, he could make a little something out of it. I don't think he impressed that much as a returner, but I think just because Darius Phillips is a rookie, you know, they, they may not have full confidence in him. And that's funny because Erickson did take the job from Brandon Tate a couple years ago as a rookie because he dominated as a returner. He hasn't shown that since 2016. So I think it was just a combination of whatever stability he brings as a slot receiver, as a true backup to Boyd there. And just insurance in case something happens to Phillips, maybe. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned 2016, great returner, um, had had you know led some of the the league in um, the kick kickoff. I think it was kickoff yardage, kickoff return yardage, and um, average yards per kickoff return. I think he was up there on on some of those. But since you know, 2017 was a bit of a disappointment. So um, I kind of thought he was on the bubble, was not. Um, quickly, John. Your thoughts on the cornerback group. I've been asked about this a lot. Um, you know, the, the Bengals said that they wanted to maybe add some depth. They put Kavari Russell on the practice squad. They still have the, the three former first-round picks atop the depth, depth chart. But we're so used to, you know, you know, all these former first-round picks in the secondary, Reggie Nelson and Adam Jones and all. And those guys are gone now. They've got the, the three at the cornerback position. Um, are you worried about the depth that they have there? Or are you pretty confident in, in what they have behind the, the big three, if you will? Yeah, they said they need depth, but I think I thought they had their fourth corner in, in Russell. I thought he played very well in the preseason yeah. the time he was out there. And for whatever reason, he didn't make the – well, I guess he didn't make the roster because they wanted to have Devontae Harris come back in case he can. 
But, you know, I think he could have very well gotten picked up by another team in waivers um, just just based off this preseason play. They obviously have a lot of faith in Tony McGray, who admittedly played well in that third preseason game. But I think Russell, if he's given a chance to play in case something happens with one of their starters, he can be at least, you know, serviceable there. And I think I, w- I personally would be comfortable with Russell. I don't know if there's any you know names out there besides – I don't know if Brashad Greenland's still available. But if he is, he's obviously a name to watch. But I, I think I think they're I think they're okay. Um, I don't expect Darius Phillips to play that much. I think it's just McRae's giving me that first guy off the bench. And if he happens to come off, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think with Russell that they should be fine. Yeah, and uh, you know the Bengals when they do add a veteran, a lot of times, yes, they've done the waiver wire stuff, but they also like to add veterans that. I think it's after week two or something where their where their contracts aren't fully guaranteed and they kind of save a little little cap space, a little money on that front. So um, and and they might they also do it to see kind of what they have in the first couple of weeks and and you know maybe they kind of say well you know we want to we want to tweak some things based on that. Speaking of the first couple of weeks of the NFL preseason, it's actual football time and it's week one. The Bengals are playing the Colts. And it's very odd because the Bengals are playing the Colts for the second time in as many weeks. Um, I don't remember really the Bengals ever, or any team really, for that matter, kind of playing a team in the final week of the preseason and starting off their season with that kind of a weird deal. But to help us preview the upcoming week one matchup with the Indianapolis Colts, we have Matt Dainley uh, at Stampede Blue, who is uh, not, not only a writer there, but he is a podcaster there. How are you, sir? Good. How are you guys doing, man? Good. Good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for making the time. Matt, yeah. what I like to do, I mean, aside from just diving into, you know, the nitty gritty, I always like to ask my my guests, especially within the SBN network, uh, how they got involved in writing, how they got involved in podcasting, their background, and be it a, as a fan of the of the team or what have you, just kind of your affiliation with, with the Indiana, Indianapolis Colts and how you kind of came to work for SB Nation. Uh, well, I mean, make a long story short, uh, just – Basically, just started out of the blue on my own to begin with. You know, had my own blog set up, uh, started writing about the Colts, doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then ended up that progressing into other opportunities. You know, and basically what it turned out to be, and I don't know if you guys can relate to this or not, but you know, my wife's a sweet gal, but every time that she would, you know, her and I would get into conversations, I'd be talking about the game, and I could just see the look in her eye, like I, I really don't care. You know what I'm saying? And so I had, I absolutely had, I felt like I had something to say, or at least, you know, that's kind of the way it was. So I started writing, obviously it was pretty terrible. That was about six, seven years ago. And then, you know, it's just become a passion of mine and, you know, throughout different websites and uh, doing some other stuff there. I came over to Stampede Blue, uh, I think about a year and a half ago or something, but I've been podcasting for I, I came up with a site that basically did nothing but metrics for quarterbacks. It was QB Mecca. I did a podcast for that. Uh, worked, I did Locked On Colts for a little bit over a year. The podcast for them came over to Stampede Blue, continued to write while Josh Wilson was still in charge. And then mm. things have progressed uh, quite a bit since uh, Brett has been you know, at the site and stuff like that. So it's been, it's been fun. It's, it's a lot of new faces, a lot of new ideas. It's really good. We got a good team over there at Stampede Blue. So, I mean, it's fun to work with other guys that are, you know, pretty passionate about the team. But I mean, at the same time, you guys know as well as I do, 
most of the time we're the most critical of our team, you know, just the same. I feel like I really, I honestly feel like if you've done it this long, unless you're just a complete blowhard, you've got at least some sense of objectivity in your brain, you know, and, and that's, what's fun. Cause you, you can have real conversations with people and you know, there's no BS in it. There's none of that. So, I mean, you feel like you're getting, you know, smarter by the day, the more people you're around in that regard. And, uh, just, you know, been doing the Colts cast for the better part of a year now for Stampede Blue as well. And it's doing well. And, you know, a lot of good things in the making, as you probably know, you know, for, for a lot of what we're doing right now. So absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, we might be announcing some things on that same front in a, in a little bit ourselves. So um, yeah, our listeners should, should stay tuned potentially for that. So, um, Matt, I, I guess, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the, the site and, uh, your work on quarterback data, I guess it's a pretty good segue to start with, and that's the whole Andrew Luck saga. And one of the last times Bengals fans, unfortunately saw Andrew Luck was in the 2014 wildcard round. Um, the Bengals were absolutely decimated by injury that, that game, but Andrew Luck absolutely tore him apart, uh, especially in the second half. And since, I think he's been away, uh, away from football at least, what, a year, year and a half. Um, there's been some improvements, some talk of improvements. How, how has he looked? How is he feeling? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of players speak, coach speak, saying, oh, everything's rosy. But um, are you seeing some issues? Or what What should we expect, especially, you know, first regular season game in a number of years, or not a number of years, but, you know, basically a year plus, um, what, what should we come to expect to see from Andrew Luck this, uh, this Sunday? No, I think the good thing that you see that he's, I mean, before anything with him throwing, we obviously saw that he was physically, you know, in tip top, you know, that's the good thing you see him, everything that he does, you can see that he's just more foundationally built muscle wise, you know, his core stronger his his extremity, his arms are obviously naturally bigger, but they're not, uh, so bulky that things are out of, out of whack. You know what I mean? So he he looks good i'm not worried about him at all I'm truly not he's been able to uh continue to throw the ball i mean he threw the ball down and we hear this all the time whether it's you know one station or another you know he's only thrown the ball 18 yards in the preseason what's going on calm down he was throwing 45 and 50 yard bombs with ease in in uh training camp practices he was crisp He's smart. He's focused. That's who he is to begin with. You know what I mean? So it's not that much of a stretch as far as mentally, but he's come back from a lot too. So I think uh, when you, okay, you guys saw the the picture of him when he was really thin, right? What a year ago. I mean, did you guys ever see that? I think he was holding up a book like, or something of the sort. Yeah. 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 He looked, he looked like he hadn't been lifting or, or doing too much for, yeah. for he a looked little like, while. Yeah. He looked like a stumble bum, right? I mean, he skinny <laughs> hobo walking around with sunken cheeks it was kind of scary but he does talk about how that's become you know something that he's overcome mentally he had to come overcome all that stuff mentally so i think you're getting not only a driven uh andrew luck who could physically and reasonably return to his 2016 form but you're also getting a guy who's mentally uh just ready to tear this season apart and i think that that's something that you know, obviously, yeah, if there was any lingering effects to his shoulder, that would be a scary thought because, you know, he's he's not scared of contact. He's going to throw the ball uh, as often as possible. And if anything, you know, his past several seasons or any indication, we're talking well over 500 attempts, you know, no matter what. That's blinking an eye. 
So I think that, I mean, just in general, he, he's looked good. I would have no reason to suspect he's not. He's never come out and, and said, you know, no, that sucked or I'm hurting or anything. Ever since he's been back, it's just been basically a, a person training a specific part of his body that has had to become, you know, has had to be rehabbed. That's all that I've ever gotten from him as far as his explanations on any soreness or anything like that. And he's pumped, man. He, he likes the contact. He, he feels like he's getting himself back into the 20, uh, you know, back into the season of football and actually the, 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 the being with the teammates and actually having a common goal. You know, I think that he's in, he's in great shape, both physically and mentally. And I think that can do nothing but good for the Colts for sure. Yeah. It's nice to see weekly mental updates from luck at his Twitter handle at Captain Andrew Luck when he's <laughs> on the battlefield every week. So that's that's always nice to see. It's always nice to get in the mind of an NFL quarterback. Bengals fans know about Luck. They know about T.Y. Hilton. They may even know about Quinn Nelson and um, the couple of other offensive linemen, Jack Doyle as well. I don't think a lot of people know, just in general, any names besides Marcus Hunt on the defense. Um, yeah. this, this group is kind of, from the national perspective, uh, scrutinized. And just in the Andrew Aguilera, Andrew Luck era, I, I guess the defense has never been the, the team's strong suit ever since Peyton Manning left. Who are some names that Bengals fans should keep an eye on as they go against the Bengals offense? Sure. The, you know, and over the, in the Pagano era, we'll just put it like that, at very least since 2012 and probably even to 2010, the Colts defense has been awful. And under Pagano, there was a couple seasons where it was really like the some of the worst that the Colts have put on the field in 30 years. You know, so that's obviously you're you're moving from that, but you're also changing scheme. And I think that last year's draft with Ballard, where he picked up Malik Hooker and he grabbed Quincy Wilson, we could see that there was a scheme change coming on defense. You know, you could see that they were drafting for for that type of a uh, of a squad, and you could see the makings of that. Whether it was more of a cover three or a, you know what's become of it now, a Tampa two style based uh, defense. You, you've seen the parts. You've seen the moving parts being put into place before it was actually done. When you look at some of the guys on this team, I mean, and, and look, they are scrutinized, and there's a reason for it, but it's because people don't know them. I, there is talent on this team. If we're talking, are they a top, you know, top half of the league defense? I don't think you're going there. I think you're looking at a probably a, a somewhere between 20 and 25th, and I think that's probably a high mark for them. I'll be honest with you but they have the potential to be in between that 15 and 20 mark. So, I mean, just to kind of put benchmarks out there, they've got, you know, plenty of youth now because they've got four of their six linebackers or rookies this year. One of them is a second year guy in Anthony Walker and Najee Goods, the only veteran guy there in that mix. He brings a, you know, he brings what a, a guy who's going to be playing Sam, you know, brings. He, he's a physical dude. He's good. He's smart. He's going to be able to help with this, but they've got rookie play caller, undrafted free agent, uh, Sky Moore, who's going to get a ton of snaps at Mike. You know, he was a, a guy who had what 14 interceptions in uh, in college. So he's a guy who definitely is able to patrol the field. He's fast. He's 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 a hard hitter right now. He's not a controlled tackler, which he needs to become. But he's very good at getting to the spot. Darius Leonard's a guy. A lot of people were questioning that pick uh, by Chris Ballard, and and you know I wasn't really on his train either until I watched post-draft a little bit more, and I thought, man, I, I can't believe that I came away with the notion of what I did previous to the draft. But I thought that he, he's shown that he can be into the passing lanes. He's a guy who is going to be able to hit. He's really good in pursuit, which is makes makes him obviously ideal for the wheel spot. 
and he's going to be able to get in mixed uh, with the pass rush. And I think that's something that the Colts are really going to use this year and probably won't be expected all that much in the first half of the season because everything's new. Nobody really has any tendencies on this group yet. Um, one of, I mean, I think Leonard is probably honestly the playmaker of the team. Sky Moore, that like I said, the mic is is doing pretty well. Danico Autry is a guy that we picked up in the in the uh, off season, and he has shown some explosion, some ability to track down, you know, uh, track down the quarterback, even you know, present some pressure from the interior. But he's also a guy who's really skilled as far as technician wise. He's a technician with his hands; you can see it in practice. And then he gets that explosion in there, and that wreaks havoc. How how that'll play out in the season is obviously a different story than what you see in training camp and uh, preseason. But you just never know. But so far, he looks the part, I think. And defensive end pass rush this year from the outside is going to be a real question mark for the Colts. Jabal Sheard is there, and you mentioned him. But, you know, they they picked up a, a pretty exciting rookie, Kamiko Ture. They got, you know, basically this experiment going on with Terrell Basham. And then Marcus Hunt right now, which is not scaring any – opposing offenses i mean you guys know about hunt he last year he played his ass off he played really well and this year you get a guy who's back into a system that he didn't really succeed all that well in and previous before coming to the three four with the colts uh last year now you're looking at hassan ridgeway who he's going to be able to present some pressure but right now the edge is not a scary bunch i think that if you look at what teray has athletically and skill wise right now and just his body build in general his explosion is is out of control i think that you're going to see a guy who could really have some some really seal uh nice ceiling in the nfl and he's there but he's a rookie you just don't know what you're going to get obviously you know on the back end you've got malik hooker clayton gathers is a guy who's been pretty solid there um but you know the colts i, I think that we like what they've got on their base coverage group quincy wilson and pierre Desir. Kenny Moore and Nate Hairston, all those guys got a lot of snaps last year. Not so much Nilsson, or I'm sorry, Wilson, but uh, Desir got a ton of snaps last year there. And this is a pretty good, it's a solid group. They're not going to scare anybody, but they've really got to get into this to where they're dropping in their zones. They've really got to be a break on the ball type group. And that's something that they're really just kind of learning to do right now. But I think that you, see, I mean, look, if you didn't love Quincy Wilson coming out of college, I don't know what you were watching, right? He's, he shows that in the games. He shows everything that people saw in him coming in the draft process. Deserves more of the veteran there. And then you've got the, exper or the experience with Matthias Farley as a safety as well. But you've also got the big playability, Adam Malik Hooker. And I think Clayton Gethers adds a little bit of punch just behind that linebacker group as well to be a little more of a physical tool for the guys coming across the middle there. Talking with Matt Danley at SB Nation, Stampede Blue, and the Colts cast over at, at their website there. And uh, Matt, if, if you get a chance, you should uh, listen to the, the first part of our, our show when we interviewed former Bengals offensive tackle Willie Anderson. And he talked about going up against um, Freeney and Mathis and, uh, you know, all those guys. It was, it was kind of a fun conversation there. But okay. – uh, yeah, but switching switching gears since you talked a lot about the defense and, and the defensive line, uh, the, there was a, a question in our live YouTube chat, I believe it was from Dean Burke, since he asked kind of about both. Um, I'm going to switch it to O-line. There's some health questions there. Uh, Anthony Costanzo, which is eerily similar to my name, by the way. That's really weird. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, 
there's there's his issue. Um, Nelson is obviously probably poised to be a very dominant player in the league for a really long time, but it seems as if there's kind of a lot of question marks elsewhere, along with Costanzo's injury. The Bengals can get after the passer. They may still struggle a little bit against the run. Talk about the offensive line and maybe what you see ahead in week one. It's it's really interesting because this is a group that we don't really know a lot about to be quite honest. Costanzo was practicing today. He was limited. I don't think he took part in any of the team stuff, um, but he was back. That's big for Costanzo. Costanzo's been one of the most durable linemen the Colts have ever had, and he's a guy who's been in there, and he's he's. it looks like he's coming back. So that's huge news. Even if he's not back this week, he's back for week two. That's, either way, anyway, he sliced it. That's great news for the Colts. But, you know, yes, he's an issue. I think that he's going to play, but we still don't know. We know what Matt Slauson brings, the physical nature of the game on the interior of the offensive line. You know, him and Kelly and Nelson there, that's a nice bully group. Now, can they form the chemistry to actually put that, you know, to actually execute this game plan? That's what we don't know yet. And that's the problem with this group. Kelly's been up and down. He's been injured. You know, he's back. He's been completely injury-free as far as I can remember throughout training camp and all that. So he's fine. Uh, Nelson is an absolute bully and Slauson kind of sets the tone there for this group. Like I said, he's not exactly a top end guard in the league. So you hope that every, between those three guys that they can compensate for each other a little bit in order to be more physical than the group across from them. And that's kind of where the Colts, I think their hopes are because there's so much fundamentals and so much to learn with that group in general, I think. Uh, especially taking on a team like Cincinnati, who has uh, a pretty decent front line there that's going to end up being trouble for a lot of NFL offenses, quite honestly. Um, but behind him, you've got Braden Smith, the rookie, and and I think that he is a guy who's definitely come a long ways through training camp. Uh, they, they've had him at guard. He's naturally a guard, but they moved him out to right tackle some of the aforementioned is- issues with injuries throughout camp that you mentioned. He looked awful. I mean, God awful at first. It was just really bad. And then you get him outside, and they he started to progress a little bit here and there. They kept playing him there, and I was surprised that they didn't end the experiment after the first couple of days. They kept with it, though, and he's done pretty darn well. So I think Braden Smith's a guy there that's at maybe second or third le- realistically on the depth chart at right tackle as well. Right now they've got Joe Haig as the unofficial starter at right tackle, which I think is a pretty solid deal. Joe Haig's okay. He's not great. He's not going to dominate any elite pass rushers, even probably 80% of the time. He's going to probably hope that he can get guys away from Andrew Luck enough to where Andrew Luck can move a little bit in the pocket and still survive. Um, That's not what you want to hear right now to your right tackle spot, but unfortunately that's kind of where we're at. There's a few weaknesses in this offensive line, but it's more of the fact that the chemistry is not formed yet, and there's still some inconsistencies with some guys' injuries in depth. Uh, Denzel Good has been out back and forth for the past few weeks, and outside of – I mean, Jamarcus Webb is the slowest human being on earth, but he did a pretty solid job in his past sets, I thought, throughout the preseason. So I think that he can – I mean, he's, he's decent depth. He's not great depth. But he's decent enough depth, and he's better than what the Colts were actually signed to be there, which was Austin Howard this uh, offseason. He's not even on the team. They released him. So that's not good. But you see a lot of the young guys in here, and they've got some depth. And that's the first time that they've had, I think, legitimate depth. 
uh, in quite a while. So I'm excited to see what these guys do, especially protection-wise, running game-wise. That's even a bigger question for me. They have the ability to be a really solid run offensive line. Uh, they've got some guys running behind them that are going to be able to pick up huge chunks of yardage in just a small amount of time. But all of that, obviously, like I said, has to be executed. You have to have Marlon Mack be able to run between the tackles and, and only bounce outside when it's necessary and vice versa. A guy even smaller than him, Naheem Hines, you've got to tell him to bust it out occasionally and quit running through up the back of your offensive lineman. You know, I mean, the, the vision there seems to be double vision. You throw them two together and they're a pretty darn good back. I think uh, what the Colts offer in the run game is still very unknown as well because the backfield's so uh, so not not inconsistent. But they, I mean, they don't have any experience back there, especially with Turbin being out the first four weeks. So a lot of this is going to be on the back of Andrew Luck. Unfortunately, it all comes back to Andrew. This is absolutely going to end up being where Luck has to be again. You know, he he's got some pieces. There's a there's a lot of fun thoughts with that with between Frank Reich's ability to draw up a unique play uh, for the offenses or for Andrew Luck's ability to be able to execute it and kind of move through his progressions and make some big plays. But then you've got a lot of unknowns is how these guys work together, how these groups grow. And then you've got the inexperience factor in the backfield as well as the wide receiver. So the offense is going to rely a ton on Andrew Luck. So we're, we're still kind of waiting to see all this come together. But you know, there, there was definitely some large spurts in camp where this offense looked pretty impressive. So uh, a lot to do up front, and I think that offensive line really has to grow together. And I think that we'll see two or three different combinations of offensive linemen, to be quite honest with you, throughout the first several weeks of the season just to kind of find out who fits where and how well they work together. Yeah, well, as a Bengals fan, I, and as, just as a football fan in general, I think – a matchup that's going to be so incredible to watch is Geno Atkins versus Quinn Nelson. You have one of the better three techniques in the game going up against maybe the best guard to come out in this decade. But a matchup that I think some Bengals fans may not be too happy about is Jack Doyle, the tight end, going up against the Bengals defense. Bengals defense typically in recent history is just god-awful against tight ends. And your new head coach, Frank Reich, an offensive mind, he helped Zach Ertz elevate his game in Philadelphia. Philadelphia's offense is one of the best for tight ends. Do you think that Doyle, uh, in the Colts community, he's obviously a great a great player, and I think he's more of an unheralded name, maybe not in that national sense yet. Do you think Reich's uh, history with uh, involving tight ends in his scheme will elevate to Doyle into that national conversation? I don't know because you've got – now you he's got a legitimate number two kind of lightning-in-a-bottle type player with Eric Ebron – to help him in that position, you know, um, last year, it wasn't that way. They had to rely on Jack Doyle because there simply wasn't enough or a, a tight end that was really going to be able to complement his skill set. And it was use Jack to be the H back, use Jack in line, use Jack as a, you know, in the slot, they've even split him out. So it was, they can, they know that they can do a lot with Jack. That's the beauty of, of Jack Doyle. Now, how much of a like if you want to say get into the national conversation i don't know that he ever he'll always be on the cusp of that i think to be quiet because he's not fast you know extremely fast he is one of the most precise route runners on this team though at any position and that's one thing that gets him open as well so he's got the ability he's definitely got the work ethic and the drive to do all these things that it's hard to say that he would he would have to have a ton you know you almost think that 
for some reason Eric Ebron and, and Luck weren't on the same page or something like that, then you kind of almost think that maybe Doyle will start getting the lion's share of the receptions. But Eric Ebron brings a, a, a nice dynamic to this team, I think. I still think that Jack Doyle gets the more of the two as far as targets and such. I don't know that it'll be that much of a separation, though. And that'll be, I think that'll actually benefit Jack Doyle, who'll actually be able to focus a little more on the things that he's actually best at. And that is some inline blocking, some solid chipping, you know, some of the short drag routes and stuff like that to get himself open because people forget about him and he can pick up yardage, but he's not that lightning guy. You know, you can use him in the seam, but you know, you're not, you know, it's going to be a 50 50 ball because he's not beating anybody necessarily over the top on a straight seam route. So it's those kind of things. Ebron, the other, on the other hand, you do have that. And I think that's what will it'll allow Jack to roam a little bit more as well, but he'll have it free of having the burden completely placed on him. Talking with Matt Danley of uh, Colts cast and uh, the stampede blue SB nation network. We're going to, we're going to close up here with you, Matt. I appreciate the time. A couple of just quick questions. I gave our previous guest, Willie Anderson, a kind of a rapid fire question, if you will. And I guess I'll kind of do the same with you here on this one what's the biggest difference between Chuck Pagano and Frank Reich with this team? Accountability, like legitimate accountability. You know what I mean? These guys look at Frank Reich, I think more as a, and I've used this comparison and maybe awful, but I think that at least when I say it, you guys will understand when people, when players looked at Chuck, they looked at him like uncle Chuck. They look at Frank Reich and it's their dad. And that's, I think the difference to be honest with you, it's something like that, you know, cool uncle Chuck, you know, great guy, not great in the clutch, Frank Reich, you better be in there in the clutch being ready to play or you're not going to play. You know what I mean? That, those kind of things. And I think that that's kind of embedded in his approach, more business-like, very down to it, but also very real, very real. You've gotten a lot of that with Chris Boward. And now I think Frank Reich brings some of that, those same traits as well. And I think the players are really responding to it. Okay. And prediction on how week one plays out. Oh, man. I think, I think we're like a three-point dog at home right now. Is that right? I, I actually, that's a good question. I'll have to, I'll have to look, look that up for you. Let's say, uh, I think we are, I think at least the other day, I think we were, or the Colts were, um, you know, three point underdogs, but you know, at home that kind of surprised me, but then at the same time, it doesn't so much. I, I think that the pass rush from Cincy is, is really strong and is going to be really hard for the Colts to deal with. Um, cause it's not, it's not a group. It's not a subset of that group that really puts it on. And this is what Frank Reich's always talked about. He wants waves of defensive linemen. And that's kind of what Cincinnati's got right now between them and their front seven in general. And I think that that's something that the Colts are going to struggle to deal with. Uh, Interior-wise, I think the Colts will be better at fending some of that off. But, you know, that pressure's still going to get there. The Colts have to be extremely dynamic in their route running. I think that they've got to learn, they've got to win at the line of scrimmage. That's huge for this wide receiver group, you know. Uh, it's hard to say, I, honestly, because we don't know anything about either one of these teams, honestly, right now. You know, that's so hard. But, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, if, if I'm just looking at complete teams right now, I look at Andrew Luck that he's going to have a solid game. I would, I mean, if we're guessing go average, you know, two or three touchdowns and maybe a interception, you know what I'm saying, a fairly one way or the other kind of game, how much of the defense makes a difference for Cincinnati, I think is something that's a, like I said, a real issue. And I think you can't, there are your guys offense actually has an offensive line. Now. I think you guys boosted some of that, right? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. 
<laughs> at least from last year, though. I mean, yeah, right? yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. Moving in the right direction, anyways. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's a big deal. And I mean, and when you do that, and you've got you know, Dalton isn't a guy who's going to throw fifty touchdowns a game or a season, but I mean, he definitely is a guy that you know can have some big games. He's either he's very kind of just uh, low and level and does his job that day or he or he or he gets something you know what i mean or he explodes and then one way or the other down as well i just think that he's even enough especially in week one when things are just being thrown out there defensively offensively i think he's good enough to keep them level enough to probably do about what they should expect to do is win by three maybe you know four i think that that's reasonable that the you know Bengals up i i would take the Bengals in four personally well okay so yeah you say the the colts are three point dogs at home and i think the over under it looks like is uh is 47 is the over under uh point total on that one there so uh, go figure there and and you make an excellent point matt about these two teams i mean it's it's fun because they're close in in terms of geography and proximity um you know they've they've got a bit of history together and, and all of that these two teams are figuring themselves out, uh, especially early in the season. And, and, you know, I think the Colts are trying to, they're hanging a lot of things on Andrew Luck in the hopes that he's going to be, you know, somewhere, if not very close to, or at the level he was right before the injury. And I think the Bengals have a lot of fun, nice skill position weapons, some good pass rushers, but offensive line still is a little bit of a question. And uh, they're coming off a two straight losing season. So uh, these are and both teams seem to be in a bit of transition. So, a very interesting matchup going forward in Week One. We thank you for helping us break it down, taking the time out quickly. Uh, where can people find your stuff again? At M Daily SB on Twitter. Uh, you can get my stuff on Stampede Blue and the Stampede Blue Colts Cast. If for some reason a Bengals fan wants to listen to a Colts podcast, well, we I think we do have quite a few <laughs> listeners that that uh, tune into a opposition's. Uh, shows and and all that kind of stuff. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I know John appreciate appreciates it. Uh, try and have some fun this Sunday, regardless of the result, huh? Absolutely, fellas. Good luck. Thanks for having me on. I had a great time. All right, take it easy. All right. That was Matt Danley with uh, Stampede Blue SB Nation's Colts website and uh, helping us break down things here at uh, the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I haven't even. Uh, we've had such a jam packed show, John. I forgot to mention, you can get this show on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, Stitcher, Google Play app, all that stuff. Um, so so go get it there. And uh, we appreciate you, everyone tuning in live. This has been this has been a whirlwind show, but it's been a hell of a lot of fun. Um, John, uh, quickly, because we're, we're, we're kind of running up on time here a little bit. Um, give me just a couple of keys since we've, we talked a lot about the Bengals and the Colts matchup here with, with Matt. Um, give me a couple of your keys to a Bengals victory coming up here on Sunday. I mean, it, they can be obvious. They can be maybe something that are a little bit more nuanced. But a couple of things you think that the Bengals really need to do well or prohibit in order to start the season off 1-0. They need to attack the ball downfield because, as Matt alluded to, they don't have a lot of capable guys in the secondary besides a Malik Hooker or maybe a Quincy Wilson. But the Bengals have an advantage in the passing game, and Dalton has a legitimate chance to throw for over 300 yards against maybe one of the worst secondaries in the league. Um, and on defense, I think you know they need to hit Andrew Luck early because he is coming back from 
um, his his injury, and he we don't know if he's going to be standing tall in the pocket. It's kind of the quarterback that he is. You know, he's a tough guy, but th- they also have an advantage in the pass rush against an offensive line that's still coming together. So they need to hit him early. And even though Matt kind of downplayed Jack Doyle's vertical ability, I still think that you know he's he's a tight end, so naturally he's, he's <laughs> capable of ripping the Bengals' defense apart. So we say this every week, I guess, but you know how can they limit tight ends? Doyle is one of the more underrated tight ends, and Eric Egeron at the very least is a good athlete and is capable of working the seam. So they're going to have to find a way to stop that because they have T.Y. Hilton on the outside. William Jackson will presumably be going up against him multiple times during the game and the middle field has to take account of Doyle and Ebron. All great points. Uh, I'm going to kind of use a kind of a theme we talked about the past couple of, of weeks when we've, uh, when we've talked about the Bengals and what they've done in the preseason and not done in the preseason. We've talked about how, you know, the offensive line and the new guys on the offensive line seem to be, seem to be able to, to be a little more stout in pass protection than in the past couple of years, which is good to see, but they are struggling against the run. They're struggling to create space in the run game. Um, so I think maybe, kind of to your point about going downfield and and uh, doing that, use the pass to kind of set up the run late. And you don't want to you don't want to necessarily put the ball in Andrew Luck's hands per se, but this is there's going to be inevitable rust from Andrew Luck. I mean, at what level that rust is at, I don't know. Um, but I think, you know, if the Bengals can, can spread the ball out a little bit, um, almost use some pass plays as quote unquote run plays, screens and, and things of that nature, go deep every once in a while. I think then maybe they get a little bit of a lead and then things start to open up up front. They could then pound the ball a little bit hog the clock and, uh, you know, then take luck and, and the arm out of the equation, if you will, at some point, and then tee off on him in the passing game. It's all cliche, but, um, and usually you say, oh, run the ball to set up the pass. But I think it's, um, I think it's a little bit of the opposite. I think the Bengals need to, to kind of get creative, exploit some of the Colts' weaknesses in that secondary, and then, um, you know, then kind of then take control of the game in terms of the scoreboard, manage the clock well, and and hopefully get out of there with a win. Um, this is a an away game, but uh, it's not it's not really an away game. I mean, it's like an hour and a half drive or something, I think, from from Cincinnati. So um, not not truly an away game. So, um, but I, I I think as Matt said, I think it's going to be a very interesting um, interesting matchup going forward because these two teams are definitely trying to figure out who they are, um, what they want to do, and, um, you know, uh, exploit each other's weaknesses. I, th- I think there's there's a lot of reflective issues going on, on, on with both of these teams. You know, I think they're both on the uptick. If, if you do read some of Bleacher Report's uh, stuff that they put out there, they put like five teams that could be sleepers this, um, this year in terms of going to the playoffs and going far. Um, three teams that just, I, I know off the top of my head, they had both the Bengals and the Colts, and then they had the Giants as, as teams that people could be sleeping on. I think there's a couple of others in there too. But so, I mean, that's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, Colts have the new co- new coach, new, new culture per- perhaps, but, um, you know, we'll see. I think it'll be a relatively close game regardless, but uh, I do think 
the Bengals probably come out victorious, maybe by a, a pretty thin margin. Do you agree, John? It always seems to be close against the Colts. It was a one-point <laughs> game last year. Yeah. Um, they had another one of those signature Dunlap um, bad ball turn it turn it interception plays. It'll definitely be within a touchdown for sure because it's week one and it's on the road. Even even though the Bengals might be a little bit better on paper, you know they're they're going to have a tough time against a good quarterback. Yeah, Rick Reed in the live YouTube chat says Bengals 31, Colts 20. So he's a little more optimistic than than we are. Jason Von Stein says, I think we win this game. Um, I think Vegas also thinks so. So whatever, you know, whatever you uh, want to take into account on that front, um, do so. We're going to get out of here with just a couple of listener questions because we're kind of running up against time. Um, you can... Uh, we're going to open up the phone line, but only uh, let's let's only do text uh, just because of, of time constraints. If you got a text you want to send us, 949-542-6241, go ahead and send us a text there um, or leave us a question in the live YouTube chat. Um, you can also get at us in uh, on Twitter at BanglesOBI if you got a quick question there. Um, so check that out and uh, get us a question. I saw some earlier, John, so let's... Let's get after it. Um, ooh, this is a good one from Michael Myers. Um, just for fun, does anyone agree? And uh, I, I think he got a lot of no's to this answer. But just for fun, does anyone agree if the Bengals should have traded two first-round picks for Mac if Dunlap didn't get extended? Michael Myers listens to our show. This is incredible. Um, I would have the, the trade that I proposed was back back in early August. It was Dunlap and a first for Khalil Mack. I think Dunlap could have been a part of a deal. I think if Dunlap didn't agree to a deal and he was still on the team, probably not the best best option to give up two firsts for Mack when your position at the defensive line is already strong. But I would have been at least open to the idea of dealing Dunlap to the Raiders who seem to take in a lot of Bengals players nowadays. I think that would have been very reasonable Dunlap in a first for one of the very best pass rushers in the game, pair him on the opposite side of Carl Lawson for the future. I think I would have been down for it just because the salary cap is not as restrictive as people may think it is. And whether or not Mike Brown wants to admit it or not, they could have afforded it and it would have made the team better. So. I'm, I'm always for those kinds of moves. Yeah, and, and you know, fortunately and unfortunately, the Bengals have, and Marvin Lewis, like their defensive ends as a certain stature. You know, the 6'6", 6'7", 280, 290 guys with the big wingspan that, yeah, they're not getting double-digit sacks every year, but they're batting balls down. They're they're doing other things. They're setting the edge against the run, for better or for worse. That's that's what they've committed to Khalil Mack, at least from a pass rushing standpoint would likely be an upgrade. Like you mentioned. Um, the thing is, I mean, first, first round picks. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of capital to give up, but I think the, I think the Brown, the bears actually got a third round pick back. And they finessed um, the second. I don't know how they did it, but they finessed the second. Yeah. So they, they got that. And then, um, you know, they did, uh, you know, they, they gave Khalil Mack a, a mega extension there, but, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how confident are you in your team at this point? Because, you know, if you think that you're, you're pretty close to the playoffs and this guy might be the guy that, that puts you to, you know, could push you to it. And you're maybe picking in the twenties again, uh, over the next couple of years without this guy, then, you know, maybe this is the guy that puts you over the edge and, and that's worth it. 
Um, I know the Bengals highly uh, – should should they or could they have done it? Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun and exciting and cool. They would never, ever, ever have done it. Ever, ever. Not under this ownership. Not never, ever. But the Bears uh, do make sense because Trubisky's still in their rookie deal and they right. have flexibility with that. So. Yep, yep. Uh, good question, though. Pretty pretty fun. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess I see – uh, oh, Kenneth, Kenneth McClendon, um, your thoughts on our run game week one? O-line seems shaky. Uh, I don't know if the Colts have a stout run defense. This is kind of stuff we tied into with um, Matt here. But um, what are your th- basically thoughts on the run game and especially the matchup this week? And he also has some fantasy questions because he has Mixon and he wants to know if Mixon is probably worth a play this week. So I avoided Mixon in my fantasy draft. Because I think the Bengals' run game is bad until they aren't. I think that's just the reality that it is. And until they prove that they can have stability there, that they can have consistency, and they don't have all these negative plays when they try to run off the edge and on the outside, they're just they're just an underwhelming group. And we still haven't seen this offensive line completely gel together. These are four new starters from last year's week one. So it's going to take some time before we get any sense of consistency and um, continuity from them. So I, I, I personally wouldn't start mixing until, you know, they can prove that they can work with him with that offense line. I, I don't think the Colts are that good at run defense, but it's just, it's still, it's just so, it's too questionable for me. Yeah. And, and this is another one. I think it's, uh, it's from Dean Burke here. Um, uh, basically going back to Mark Walton is, is his, preseason performance because uh, first of all i've never seen so many people up in arms about a number three number four (laughs) running back position on a roster so many people were so pissed off about you know how that played out and how brian hill should have been the guy over mark walton it's like dude come on let's let's slow the roll a little bit but i mean do you think that walton's perform i i personally think that i would say probably 75 to 80 percent of what i saw from walton in terms of his lack of preseason success had to do with the guys in front of him and or scheme, because there was a, a pro football focus uh, tweet that was put out that said he was hit. Uh, he was the number one player in the preseason who was hit the most at or behind the line of scrimmage when he got the ball. So, but I do think some of that has to maybe do with his running style and not gelling with the offensive line. There is something to be said there too, but that's my opinion. What do you think? Do you think do you think people are being a little too hard on Mark Walton, um, or do you think you know maybe this guy either isn't fully healthy or doesn't have it? Or I don't. I don't, I don't think it's we should be indicting Mark Walton just because of the like. It, you, all you have to do is watch preseason. You can you can tell that once he got the ball, the line of scrimmage was was like reset in his face. Like he had nowhere to go, and it was just, it was just unfortunate. It's not indicative of his ability. I think where people are getting mad is that was the Walden pick really necessary with what they already had? And I think their resentment with with that reality kind of came out on Walden's play in the preseason. Like, it's preseason, doesn't doesn't really matter. No one remembers preseason production. It's not, and, and it's not who Walden is as a running back. He's capable of producing much better. I think it's just, you know, he wasn't truly needed. They didn't really need to spend a fourth-round pick on a running back, especially when they had questions in the offensive line. But nah, it, overreaction to meaningless preseason production against, you know, unfavorable circumstances to say the least. 
Yeah, and you know his carries will definitely be limited um, this this season going forward. But I think he has shown the ability to to catch the ball in in uh, in college, and I think that's to be honest with you. I think I don't want to say it's going to be the biggest contributor from Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard, and and Mark Walton and company, but I, I think they're going to be asked to do that a lot. Um, and I think it goes back to using the pass to set up the run, um, setting up screens, all that kind of stuff, because these guys can do that. And uh, they, they can follow blocks. Obviously, Bernard has has the longest track record of being successful in that capacity. But Mixon has shown that he can do that. And I think Walton will, will show that as well. Bengals also kept Trey Carson on the on the final roster there. And obviously, Walton and, and Carson will probably be asked to do quite a few things on special teams. And I think that's probably – I mean, they, the, the Bengals probably felt that Walton had more special teams upside over Hill, right? That's why they kept him. Yeah, they raved about his special teams ability when he was drafted, and that's that's pretty much why it was a lock to make the roster in the first place. Yep, yep. Well, thanks for the questions, guys. We're going to get out of here. It has been a jam-packed show. We started off the program with Bengals legend Willie Anderson uh, talking about the current state of the Bengals, the past state of the Bengals, and many other topics. Uh, John and I discussed both uh, the final roster and some keys to victory this week. Um, for the for the Bengals against the Colts. And then we had Matt Danley of the SB Nation site, Stampede Blue, and the Colts cast. Um, great guest as well. So we were uh, jam-packed. A lot of good stuff. You can get this program on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, uh, CincyJungle.com, Stitcher, and the Google Play app. Um, so, so get our program there. We might have some changes in terms of format and other things coming down the pike, but we will be sure to let you know about that. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. Let's hope the Bengals get a win in week one and then maybe carry that into week two and get another win, which seems like a winnable game at home. But God, John, it's prime time week two. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> uh, real quickly before we get out of here are you are you the prime i mean we'll talk about this more next week but are you are you a believer in the prime time curse thing or are you kind of like well it is what it is and the, they just play better to uh, I, i'm curious about that yeah i it, it it happens every time so it's just useless to believe it doesn't exist <laughs> so it, sure yeah it exists it's not technically prime time, it's not one channel but the moon is out so marvin lewis just diminishes to a, a child so Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's so true. Oh, my God. Uh, well, that'll, that'll be a good topic for next week. I, I hope we can uh, we can talk about that next week. Thanks for everything, man. Thanks for uh, coming on. And, uh, you know, you bring it as always, and you've been a great addition to the show, so I appreciate it. Let's keep us going. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, and let's hope next week we'll be talking about a 1-0 start by the Cincinnati Bengals as they go to Indianapolis and play the Colts. Thanks, for everyone, for tuning in live and for submitting your questions. I apologize. We kind of limited the questions a little bit. We just had, you know, a lot going on in this episode, but uh, I feel like we got to a lot, so that's good. Um, but tune in next week. We've got a lot more coming, and uh, – we're, we're pretty stoked about the direction of the show, especially of late. We're, we're, we're pretty stoked about things. So keep it here. Keep it at CincyJungle.com for all of the updates, news, opinion, analysis. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Let's let's go 1-0, Hootie. <laughs>
doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>